Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The second reading is also from Revelations from chapter seven and we'll be starting at verse nine and ending at verse 17. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
Well, it's great to be with you today. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to start today a brand new series for us as God's people. It, we've called it the Church of the Living God. We decided it was time to do a few weeks thinking and praying and looking in God's Word at what church really is and why it matters and what is its place in the purposes of God. You know, during lockdown, my wife was kind to me and stuck up next to my desk a whole stack of photos of places we'd traveled just as a way of keeping me sane when we couldn't really go outside much at all. And a lot of the photos were of our trip around Iceland that we took a few years ago. And one of the things that struck me as I've looked at my wall of photos of Iceland is how many of them are filled with churches like these. Little white churches dot all over Iceland. They're on private farms, on public property. Everyone builds a church in Iceland. Uh, There's a book by uh, a man named Laxness who speaks of uh, a family who builds a church, who consecrates it, then bars up the front doors never to be used again. That's a strange contradiction of Iceland, a land full of churches, some magnificent architecturally and vastly different, with 85% of people saying they belong to a church, and yet it is one of the places of least belief in all of Europe and all the world. What a strange contradiction to have so many churches, but so little faith. That's the strange secular times we find ourselves in. But we only don't find ourselves in strange secular times when it comes to church. We find ourselves in a time when churches can be big global empires with great brands that sell products all over the world and have a, a name recognition. We live in a time where we've been doing a form of church online. It's been quite good and quite comfortable. And now we're faced with the prospect of coming back into a freezing building in the middle of winter again. You know, in these secular times, in these strange corporate times, in these pandemic times, we need a little bit of guidance, don't we? Why do we come to church again? Why does it matter to physically come together as God's body on a Sunday? That's what we want to do over these next four weeks. And what we're going to do is explore four uh, kind of statements about what the church is. Uh, Today we're going to look at the first one of those, the gathering of the Lamb. And all I want you to really understand today about church is that church is not about you. Church is not about me. Church is all about Jesus, our Lamb. The one who purchased us. The one who we belong to. It's not our church. It's his church. And to do that today, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the end of the biblical story at the book of Revelation and how that helps us understand church. I'm going to look at a statement that Jesus says that grounds for us what church is. It's this magnificent statement that he makes in Matthew 16, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love this statement. I want to tell you four things from this statement today and from Revelation about how the church is all about Jesus. 
And one of the first things we see as we look at this beautiful, emphatic, victorious, triumphant statement from Jesus is that church is all about him. On this rock, I will build my church. It's not your church. It's not Neak's church. It's Jesus' church. And the first thing we see in this statement is that church, is, it's not a human idea. It's Jesus' achievement. It's something he has accomplished. It's something that he, in his sovereign power, in the salvation he has won for us, he has purchased and bought and made himself. You see, one of the greatest dangers, according to Diedrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together, a great little book he wrote about what it means to be the church, to be in fellowship. He says that the greatest danger to the church is actually what he calls the wish dreams each of us walk into church with. Every single one of us walks into church with a vision of the way church community should really work. If only we did X, it's that thought in your head. If only we did Y. Christian church should look like this, like that, like it used to, like I used to see it, like we used to do. These wish dreams, according to Diedrich, have caused the death of many churches. Instead, he says, you know, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal, not an idea that we have, that we walk into church, we must realize. It is a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Church isn't a human idea, it's Christ's achievement. The ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone. I will build my church, Jesus says. And when we get to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 5, this incredible scene where John is despairing because there is no one found worthy to open this scroll. And the, the opening of the scroll is about finishing the purposes of God, about accomplishing the end of history, about everything being fixed and made right. No one is found until this slain lamb shows up at the throne of God and he is found worthy. And what we learn of why he's worthy uh, is this, sung out at that throne, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Why is it Jesus' achievement? Well, why is Jesus worthy to be the one who, who, who finishes history, to open the scrolls, to complete the purposes of God? Why? Because he died on the cross to purchase us out from sin and death and judgment and wrath. Not just us, but people from every tribe and every language and every nation, from all over the earth, from all over time, from all over history, to be a people, to be a kingdom, to be a priesthood who serve God and reign with Jesus. See, the church was made possible by the blood of Christ. It's his achievement. 
without his blood, we all die. We all suffer judgment. But through his blood, we become a treasured people to God. You know, we don't make church possible here as a staff ministry team. Gladys Berejiklian has not just made church possible. Scott Morrison has not just made it possible. The blood of Jesus made church possible. It is his achievement. You see, church is made possible by Jesus. It's only possible in Jesus. And its, and its destination, its purpose is for his glory. You see, the reason why we come to church is because, as Revelation 5 tells us, Jesus, the slain lamb, is worthy. Church is not a human idea. It is Jesus' achievement. But what do we mean when we say church? What does it mean when Jesus says, my church and the gates, I love this, the gates of hell. I mean, what a phrase. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Actually, the word is Hades, which in Greek is the place of the dead. Death. Judgment will not prevail against it. What is this church that death will not overcome? And here's where we get to really understand that the church of Jesus Christ is this final gathering around Jesus the Lamb. This is what we see in Revelation chapter 7, actually. After this scene of the Lamb around the throne and being declared worthy by all the the creatures in heaven. We see what is a multitude. After this, John looks and and there before me was a great multitude, a a throng of people who weren't socially distancing, it says in the Greek. Uh, You know, they they were heaving together. This is hectic stuff. And a great multitude that no one could count. No one could count. Millions, billions of people from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, this is the church. This final gathering of all the people of God from every century, from every location, from every ethnicity. We're going to talk more about ethnicity and race next week as we think about the new humanity, this marvelous multi-ethnic church. From every place, every language, raised from the dead, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, uh, is explained later in that chapter, they, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are those whom hell has not conquered. These are those whom death has not held down. Because by the death and resurrection of Jesus, they've been purchased out from under it. This is the church of Jesus Christ. You see, all through the Bible is this language of gathering. Kahal in the Hebrew, Ecclesia in the Greek. 
gatherings of God's people all through the scriptures. The first one happened uh, as God's people were taken out of slavery from Egypt and gathered around Mount Sinai before the presence of God. They were redeemed out from under something and gathered around God's glory. And they do that throughout the Old Testament. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, people start gathering in the power of the Spirit to remember and know Him. And all of these gatherings point to the final gathering of the church, of all of these people gathered together when sin and death are conquered, when Jesus' victory has been accomplished around Him. At the end of the chapter, it describes how good this will be. That we will be sheltered by the presence of this lamb. That never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Friend, this is where you're headed if your faith is in Jesus in his blood, to cleanse you and forgive you. You're headed to a final gathering, a multi-ethnic gathering of all God's people, where there will be no more pain or pandemic, where there won't be any more tears, where being with Jesus in his presence, gathered around him, we will be protected and safe, physical, bodily, forever. That is the church. That is what the church is. May your heart find confidence in that today. But the question then is, well, how is it that, as Jesus says in this statement, how is it that he builds this final gathering? He says he's going to build this church whom the gates of hell will not prevail against. How does he build it? Well, what we learn in Scripture is that the Spirit gathers us now in expectation of that final gathering. Does that make sense? I love that there were people in the room who I could look at and be like, is that making sense to me? Can you nod back? No nodding in the room. So I'm just going to hope that you are. But the Spirit gathers us now in expectation of that final gathering. Why does the Spirit do it? Well, that's what we see in Acts. The the Lord Jesus pours out the Spirit to accomplish His work of building the church. And the Spirit then gathers groups of people as little echoes, little previews of that final gathering in the present. And because this multitude is multi-ethnic, it's from every place, every language, the Holy Spirit has been doing that on every continent, in every place, with every language, since the mission has been launched by the Lord Jesus. The Spirit gathers in every place and in every time little previews of the final church as a way of creating the reality. He gathers us now to gather us then. You see, this is why gathering physically, embodied, publicly as God's people is a church in the way really nothing else is. This is why to honor Jesus, we're going to get off our couches, leave our tablets and computers at home, and physically gather in our building 
as we will one day gather around the Lamb. Because that is how the Spirit builds the triumphant church of Jesus Christ. On the final day, we'll be embodied, resurrected, conquered death, physically with each other. And so we are summoned by the Spirit now to physically gather as God's people. That is church, to physically gather as we will gather then. Why do we do that? Well, as we said, it's all about Jesus. We do that because he's worthy. And here's the final reason, uh, thing we see in, the, in this passage. And it's that, that strange bit right at the beginning of Jesus' statement. On this rock, I will build my church. Now we'll finally look at the verse in context. Some people have been dying for me to do that this whole sermon. Sorry about that. But we're, we're going to do that now. Because this statement happens in the middle of a really important part of Matthew. Uh, in, the, in this section in Matthew, if we want to open it up, Matthew 16, Jesus is questioning his disciples as to who people say he is. And then he asks them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, what's the context here? Uh, the word for Peter is the word for rock. And Jesus, after Peter makes this confession of his, of his identity as the Christ, says, on this rock, on Peter, I will build my church. Now, some people will say, well, this is how we understand why popes are important. Because Jesus says, well, I'm going to build my church on Peter, who becomes the first you know, pope of the church. And, and on the, the subsequent, subsequent popes, the church is built on a human leader that follows. But in context, that's not really what's happening, is it? Why is Jesus going to build his church upon Peter? Because Peter has confessed his lordship. And this is what we see Peter do in Acts chapter 2. How does the church begin? When Peter stands up, and what does he do? He preaches, and he confesses that Jesus is Lord. He proclaims who Jesus is. You see, the rock on which the church is built is the confession of Jesus' lordship. Peter has the honor of leading that confession, but the church is not built on him. It's built on his confession of Jesus' lordship, on the apostles who together confessed Jesus' lordship. We build church upon who Jesus is as the apostles passed it down to us. And so the Holy Spirit gathers us now to do what? To publicly confess Jesus' lordship. Church is all about Jesus. We gather to publicly do what Peter did, to confess that in Jesus, God accomplishes all his work. To confess that in Jesus is God's Lord and Messiah. You see, if we don't come together 
bodily in a physical space and confess that Jesus is the true and right Lord of all, it will not happen. People will not know. There is no other way for people to know than for that to happen. By the church gathering physically, publicly, in places all over this earth, in every suburb, in as many streets as possible, God's people, by doing that, are publicly declaring who really runs the universe, what everything is really about, that everything is about Jesus. And if we don't do that, the world has no hope. This is the, the true center of everything we do together. Edmund Clowney, in a book I've been reading as I've been thinking about this series, says, by confessing faith in Christ through the celebration of the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, sermons and God's word and prayer and hymns and witnessing and daily life, those gathered in the name of Christ speak the word of God both to each other and to the world. That's why we gather. We gather to confess Jesus Christ to one another. By reading his word together, by doing the sacraments together, by praying together. And we, by doing that, we speak the truth of Christ to each other and to his world. You know, the Lord's Supper perfectly tells us that this is why we do it. In 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And, and whenever and he said, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what the Lord's Supper does. Confesses the lordship of the of the crucified and resurrected Christ until he appears and is glorified by his people and becomes the center of all reality. The Spirit gathers us now to do that until he is revealed in his glory. Church is all about Jesus. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friend, why do we come to church? Well, we come because Jesus is worthy. We come because we need more of Jesus. We need to hear his name confessed by brothers and sisters. Why do we come to church? Because Newtown and Erskineville need to publicly know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what we are to remember in all of this, coming right back to the beginning, is that we do not make this possible. Jesus makes this possible. We come together as church because we've been purchased. Because we've been forgiven by his blood. Because his spirit gathers us together. 
And so when you're sitting in your home in a few weeks' time and wondering whether you want to come out and come to church at all, remember that the reason that you come is not because of how it makes you feel, not even because of who you'll see there, but because you've been purchased. Because this is your destiny. To one day be gathered around him. To one day glorify him for purchasing you. And that your brothers and sisters, purchased by God themselves, need to hear your confession of his worth. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would take this vision from Revelation, these words from the Lord Jesus today, and that you would give us a full measure, a full picture of the glory of what you are doing when you gather us for church, that we might taste its significance, that we might rejoice in what you are making us part of, rejoice in what we will one day be around Jesus for his sake, and not ours. Amen.